0: You are listening to the Exploration Films Podcast. A deep dive into films from around the world. Conversations with producers, directors, and actors where they discuss the behind-the-scenes stories of filmmaking and also reflect on their motivations and their worldview as storytellers. Hosted by Renaissance man, sage, and thinker Carl Moller. Well, I am thrilled today to be joined by Steve Gryson of Exploration Films. Steve, welcome. Thank you. And we are totally excited to have Charles Dendler with us as well. Charles has been someone who's work that I've admired and I know, Steve, you have because of this incredible project, The Portraits of Colorado. Uh, amazing stuff. Welcome. Welcome to both of you Good guys. Good to
1: be here.
2: Thank you. Good yeah. to be here. Good to be with you, Charlie, too. Yeah. Yeah,
0: seeing you. Well, Charlie, Charles, you don't look like a ca- classical composer. I think I had some picture in my head of Beethoven walking in or something <laughs> like that. Ah, so. uh,
1: yes. Then, then I'd be dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Colorado native, tell me a little of your uh, story. Uh, from
1: here? So um, I'm actually not a native. We moved here about 15 years ago Okay, um, from Connecticut. I'm a Yankee uh, and proud to be a Yankee. I grew up in in Connecticut. And uh, so what brought us here? I was working a lot of uh, out of L.A. So we decided that uh, rather than live in L.A., we'd move to Denver and just I could commute. And I I had a studio on Santa Monica and Gower out there. So uh, honestly, the main draw for us, anyhow, for Colorado, was uh, with our kids and the environment and the Christian environment here and um, just how friendly the people are. Just th- That was a huge draw. Huge draw,
2: for sure, for sure. And Steve, uh, how did you guys meet? I'm almost embarrassed to say we met in a mall because I hate malls <laughs> and I try to never go to them. <laughs> but uh, it must have been the end of the year or something and i was jamming for a last minute gift but i'm in this giant mall in south denver and i'm hearing this guy who's just playing this celtic kind of electrified violin it's real warm really kind of cool and in my mind i'm thinking i'm gonna talk to this guy because you know this is the kind of stuff that you could use for soundtrack stuff or transition little moments in film well i had the conversation with a guy and he didn't really get it i could tell But we finished our conversation, and I went walking down to the mall, and I heard someone running up behind me. And I turned around, and here's Charles. And he's with his beautiful daughter, Mariah, who's probably 11 at this point. He goes, hey, I didn't mean to be listening in to the conversation, but he said, are you a filmmaker? And I said, well, we do documentaries. And so he handed me his card, and he said, I do film scores, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Well, I went home, and a little embarrassingly, I threw it in the round file that we call the trash, because if I've heard this once, I've heard it a 100 times, and you don't know who's legit, who's not legit. And so a year passes, and I get an email from Charlie saying, you know, we met in the mall, could we meet? And so we set up a meeting in Castle Rock, which is sort of halfway, he's up in Denver, I'm down in Colorado Springs, kind of halfway. And we arranged to meet at a coffee shop. And that day, this enormous blizzard closes the freeways and we can't go anywhere. And we communicated and said, we're gonna have to do this another time. And so I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, kind of all in God's time if it's supposed to happen. So a year later, after that, I get another email Yeah, I met you in the mall. (laughs) (laughs) And God bless Charles for his persistence. So you followed. He he did. And so we arranged a meeting, and we ended up in the same coffee shop in Castle Rock. We were originally going to meet, hit it off, and really had a great discussion and got to know each other. And I felt like, you know, with Charles, I... I, you know, I got a brother from another mother. We had a lot in common, our journeys were common. We were both working in film and different ends of the story. And you know, as I drilled down and got to know more, here was a guy with legitimate uh, chops that did great work. And I was on my way when we were having that coffee shop meeting the next day. I was flying to Canada to do the story on this guy that had been interacting with wild bears, a very unusual and kind of weird story. And I thought to myself, you know, with documentaries, you don't know what the story sometimes is. You you might think you have an idea. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's not. So I said, I don't even know what we're going to bring back here. But maybe this is the first one we work on together. And so Charlie did the score for that film. It's called The Gentle Bear Man of Emo. Oh, yeah. And it's a wonderful story. And Charlie's approach was so great because here was a guy that was really connected to the earth. I mean, he was an earth guy, if there ever was one. He worked with his hands. He was a landscaper. It's these animals that rescued this guy. So what Charlie's approach was, he was a simple man. So all the instruments that Charlie used were simple, earthy flutes, wood guitars, things that reflected sort of this earthiness. And, um, you know, I saw a great deal of intelligence and beauty in his work. And so that was actually how we got started together. And We've done a bunch more since. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I
0: know. That film was also really profoundly interesting and the music behind it really did help, you know, bring out the story, and I think it was really something. Looking again, I'm just curious, Charles, you don't strike me, as I said, as a classical composer. You look more like a guy who'd who'd be into some sort of, you know, LA scene rock kind of stuff. So True. Uh, true. Okay. Uh, how did you get into uh, classical composing? Composing symphonies, even.
1: You know it, it, that that's interesting because I'm not classically trained, and um, and and almost proud of that fact. You know that I, I'm not classically trained, and I, I didn't study orchestration. I didn't study formally. But for some reason, the expression of that style, more of a neoclassical style, was the only thing that really embodied what I felt when I look at God's creation and when I, you know, a rock song or, you know, I'm a little more jazz sort of pop. And but for some reason, that didn't really reflect what I was seeing around me. And for me, being out in God's creation is the most worshipful aspect for for me more than going to a church service or more than engaging uh, in that way. For me, when I'm out and I'm running along a river or a lake, I really feel God's presence. Yeah. And so my quest was, how do I create music that is a true reflection of, of God's majesty? And honestly, it it just didn't come through rock. It just didn't come through jazz. It, it, the only medium was sort of using an orchestra and big, over-the-top orchestral music. So it was more by default. And, and that's sort of where my music fell in films. Um, before Steve and I met, I was writing a lot for National Geographic and for History Channel. And they generally wanted these big, sort of over-the-top orchestral scores behind uh, the drama that was sort of un- unfolding. So it was, it was sort of the natural progression was into the classical world so who would you
0: say is, has influenced you in that sort of uh, musical style
1: Aaron Copeland sure um, certainly he Im- embodies Americana and uh, music is absolutely amazing and you know even in the classical world they play Aaron Copeland But he might be a little too sort of pop classical for some people Philip Glass I love Philip Glass and sort of his minimalist approach and then Ennio Morricone He did the the score for a film called the mission love that movie Yeah, and and one of his most famous pieces is Gabriel's oboe, which is this incredible oboe solo with the orchestra and huge Huge influences, wow,
0: that's and i think I think a lot of your music, when I listen to it, does evoke that sort of big picture of America, but also the the sorts of uh, grand storytelling that comes with big orchestration and all of that. It's very moving. It's very beautiful.
1: thank you, thank you. I think grand storytelling is it's I think for me, music is is less entertainment and more about the story. Mm. And, you know, uh, having people walk away, being able to sort of dreamscape in their minds and picture what I was picturing, that's sort of the the concept for me as a composer. Not as much just sort of lay back and and vegetate, but more like I'd like to take you on a journey for a few moments. Yeah
0: yeah you know you mentioned a few things about you know where you grew up and everything. Tell me a little bit more about your background family wise how did you you know what are
1: what are some of the influences you bring from that aspect of it? Sure. growing up, my dad was a carpenter. There was no they were not musical at all. Wow, so there wasn't a lot of music, but I started playing trumpet in fourth grade and just started writing kind of immediately before I even uh knew how to write music or read music I just uh, it just seemed natural and then my parents bought an old piano for my sister my grandfather got it for $50 dollars from a bar and so my, when my sister wasn't around I would take her music books and I would just sort of look at what she was doing in her lessons and I, I taught myself to play just by looking at her music books and, and uh, she eventually found out she wasn't really happy about it um, <laughs> and then she quit. And then uh, so I started taking music lessons probably around uh, junior high on the piano. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, it, it seems like the entire process in watching the film of creating this music was, was an experience for you that, that it was almost visual, right? I mean, you know, in, in terms of how you see music. Talk a little bit about that and how, how the process of coming to some of these compositions
1: well, I'm a synesthete, so <clears throat> I have synesthesia. So when I um, hear music, my mind translates it into color. So I, I hear in color. And there's, there's – it in and I'm not completely – it's sort of on the autism scale a little bit, so I'm not completely flaky. It actually is a thing um, <laughs> that I'm, sure, uh, I'm s- sure some people are familiar with. So when I write music, I write with a program that allows me to categorize the orchestras by the colors that I – see in my mind. The strings have a color percussion. They all have various colors so the way I see it in my mind, I'm able to write it out and I actually see it on a physical screen which really, really helps. So I'm not necessarily approaching it from a music theory standpoint which, you know, would be the typical academic way to approach music. And I encourage my students never to do that. <laughs> um, even as a professor, I, I teach the music theory and then I tell them to forget everything I've taught them and because it, will, it literally Literally destroys the, the writing process. That's how I approach it. But I'm extremely visual. And with the symphony, I started downloading a man named um, Jerry Maltin. His He's an, uh, an American painter of landscapes and he's got works in the White House and just amazing painter, um, sort of Hudson River style. And I started using his paintings, honestly, as the, the inspiration. I posted them. I downloaded them and posted them all over the studio wow. and used that uh, really to, to start writing the symphony.
0: Wow. Well, I'm going to get to that part because there's a whole nother rest of the story to that, that I think we need to sure. talk about a little bit. But Steve, how, when you hear Charles talk about composition that way, I mean, and the, the cinematography in the Portraits of Colorado film is so powerful, is so good. How, how does the music influence your cinematography and your looking at the visual images that go along with that.
2: You know, it's interesting because when Charlie got this commission to write the symphony from the Colorado Symphony that says, you know, would you write a modern symphony based on the beauty of the Rockies? And he called up and he said, hey, would you think about engaging with this project and maybe do a film? You know, to me, it was a no-brainer. We love Colorado. We, we're, in, we're in Colorado for uh, similar reasons. We're here for lifestyle. Really, I'm a film guy. I should be in New York or L.A. But I decided, you know, if I can figure out how to do that here, I'll take half the money for twice the life, right? <laughs> so, I, you know, <laughs> we all had a, a built-in love of the mountains and the beauty around us. And so I felt like that was a no-brainer. And then charlie at that point had not really started writing but he's sort you know he's sort of describing how he sees the mountains and how you know behind it this movement of creation where god is forming all of this beauty and you know even though it's instrumental music i think when it's god breathed people feel the touch and work of the holy spirit because all these gifts that we have, whether you're an artist or whether you're an academic or whether you're something else, all these gifts are God's gifts that he's given to you. And some people have acknowledged him as a giver of those gifts and some haven't. But they're all given freely. And mm-hmm. I loved Charlie's sensibilities. We would work on a couple of films together. So I knew it would be a good project. But I knew part of what we had to do was to spend about a year in the mountains of Colorado and follow all four seasons because there's so many looks here. Mm. And so summer, you know, Colorado's got its own incredible beauty with the flowers, the wildflowers, and the mountains. I mean, summer's my favorite time. Then you go to winter, and you got the wonderful definition that the snow provides on the mountains and the depth. Mm. So winter's my favorite time. And then there's the fall, <laughs> and you got the aspen leaves, and I've got a house at 10,000 feet or in the middle of these aspens. Oh. They're on fire and it's beautiful so the fall's my favorite time and then spring is um also sort of this renewal coming out of the snow and you know that that moment where fresh life bursts forth and that's so symbolic so yeah it's all my favorite time and so i just thought you know what we'll try to do is is hear what where charlie's going with these songs because there's a flow to the songs and. One of the songs that where, it's called Where Wild Horses Run, which I think Charlie was probably the least confident in as a composer back then. I think you probably changed your view, correct me if I'm wrong, since since then. But, uh, you know, I just, I saw this, you know, I had good visuals of horses that we shot from helicopters and stuff. So I had really great visuals there, but I loved that song. And uh, I think it just came out to be a a great moment in the film that just kind of gets you to go take a deep breath and go, oh, that's just gorgeous.
0: It's one of the most uplifting and, and soul-stirring uh, visuals, as well as the music. The combination just, uh, again, literally, we, we were joking before we went on uh, the podcast, and you know, I've, I've, every time I watch it, I could watch it again and again and again, and listening and, and putting it on the big sound system in my house. <laughs> my wife is always like, can you turn the
1: down a little bit? <laughs> Could I interject? Yeah, please. It is funny about that movement because I was going to throw that movement out. And I just thought, you know, it's too literal. The melodies are too predictable. And I tried to keep the symphony very unpredictable, uh, maybe to a fault. But it was funny. During the the recording sessions, we had this unbelievable trumpet player. But anyhow, I wrote the piece uh, more toward a film uh, with that in the back of my mind where I can walk in and they can blast the highest note that I put on there because they're used to commercial music. Well, the classical orchestra, it's a different different beast. And, And so during the recording... I had that that part is so high and I had it written for C trumpet in C and it just it just wasn't happening. And so and I felt really bad for for Justin during the session because obviously <laughs> I'd written it too high. And so I was trying to curb back and trying to figure out oh, what do I do to 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 pull back on this and so we ended up not recording the trumpet part which is the sort of the main part of that particular movement. And we experimented and I had uh, Justin come over to my studio and first we tried flugelhorn that didn't work uh and then finally we tried piccolo um trumpet and that's what you're actually hearing on the recording is this piccolo trumpet and and he just flew with that that was just it was sort of amazing but for me that was you know i i felt terrible that i i had caused somebody to just not be able to be their best during the session um but then the magic came later with with justin and it, I it is love the track yeah
0: You know, the idea that this was a modern American symphony as well was also really
1: fascinating to me. What is a modern American symphony? Um, Somebody writing music that's not dead. (laughs) Um, That that helps. (laughs) That Uh, helps. (laughs) You know what? I don't know because some of the real classical... Connoisseurs have hated me because I dared call it a symphony, and some have loved the idea that I called this a symphony. So, honestly, time is this awesome thing because time will vote, and people will vote. And a hundred years from now, we'll know if it truly was. an American modern symphony but like with any composer I mean they hated Brahms they hated Bach they hated all of them They, they the critics ripped them apart and then time will We'll, we'll prove. But what makes it modern? I, I, you know, that's a good question. I broke it into 10 movements rather than three or four movements um, because who wants to listen to a 20-minute piece of music? Um, and we're – you know, with iPods and radio. I mean radio doesn't want to play a 20-minute piece of music because they can't program commercials. In right. so, so why would I write a symphony that was doomed to fail? right and i know in the academic world they're still teaching people well you write it this way you write this and you develop this and blah 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 and i'm thinking well that that's ridiculous we're teaching students to fail they we have to write in the language that people are that commercially buying into and and so the idea of writing the way brahms would write a symphony was completely ridiculous and would be audacious of me from an academic standpoint. This would just be just sort of me writing something to please the connoisseurs. But this symphony was not written for, for them. Yeah. It was written for everyday people.
0: You know, it struck me also when I was watching this and I was listening to, you know, this sort of descriptions about how. The 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 many movements and all of those things that were put into this were were unconventional. Um, I was reminded of of uh, the movie Amadeus. Remember mm. Amadeus? Oh yeah. Uh, and of course, there's Mozart and there's Salieri. And of course, it's been over dramatized. And Salieri was a fine composer, a great composer in many ways. But the premise was he was the master, and here is this prodigy who comes in with something so over the top, different, and sure. and so counter to everything that was being done. That, that's the kind of impression I got from listening to Portraits of Colorado, that this was so fresh and it was yet so tapped into the way we listen to music today. How do we listen to music? You mentioned iPods and radio and various other things, shortcuts, but also cinema scores for movies. And for the, the the productions, my my kids will talk about, you know, the soundtrack to Dark Knight, mm-hmm. uh, sure. you know, and uh, any Hans Zimmer, you know, kind of soundtrack. And I remember my son being just a little kid with the Star Wars theme. Here's John Williams, you know, mm-hmm. a, a composer. Yeah. Yep. And my son is, dun, dun, dun. you know, and, and I'm thinking, this is not rock and roll. This is the way he hears music. He hears it through the combination of those things. So, again... Bravo, as they would say in the theater. Bravo! It was really, really exciting to to get to there. Um, so, have you guys have worked together before? You'd worked together before this project. What, what yeah. were what were some of those other projects like?
2: Uh, the first thing was General Man of emo, which I described earlier, which is when we first met, and that was you know it's interesting. So, being in my shoes and being in Charlie's shoes, somehow he's got to get into my brain to try to figure out what do I want or what's my feel.
1: That was a nightmare, too. I was swimming around in there, and I said, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah.
2: It's, like, it's like a seizure at all times, <laughs> and you're trapped in a thunderstorm you can't get out of. So the way that he does that, which is, um, which is kind of instructional, is we would cut the timeline, and then I would put in library music library, out of what we'd pull f- that, that I liked, and that would give a sense of the emotional connection we were going for and then he would completely replace the music not sounding like any of the library music with all new compositions but captured that emotional connection that was in place and the way we used it so you know i think that was probably the most efficient way he could sort of get into my brain and figure that out but the other side of the coin is i had historically been very reluctant to use live composers because of this very problem and there's sort of nuanced communication that's challenging. And, you know, I come from a music background. My my, my parents are both musicians. My mom's a uh, music teacher in theory. I grew up like Charlie playing the trumpet and then in band, bands later in life and married to a musician as well. So, you know, I had the language of music down, but there's still a bridge to cross to get that perfect fit, that, that perfect relationship. So we did, uh, the second thing we did was I did a film called the master designer and yeah. Charlie wrote the major theme for that. And we ended up flying to Prague and working with the Prague symphony on that one. And that was a great experience because here was a, a symphony that was really good at capturing sort of romantic and that kind of feel. They were great symphony, but the expression and emotional stuff, I think that was their forte we work with Denver, which is also technically a very good symphony. Maybe better for highly technical kind of playing. But Prague was just gorgeous, and True. Prague was filled with people that didn't have two hundred thousand dollar violins. <laughs> they were taking the subway to the session, Man. and you know, and getting paid uh, pennies compared to what an American, and yet. Yeah, it was just a great time. Uh, we took we took Scott O'Neill, who had be, become a friend, who was the in house conductor for the Colorado Symphony, and he came along and conducted the sessions. Right. Yeah. And it was fun to see that symphony, which plays film score after film score. If you looked in the lobby of this place, most of the American movies that you've seen, they they're the ones that they cut the score there. Wow. And wow. at the end of the session or at the end of a piece, they would take their bows or their violins and tap the stand. Which in classical polite speak is, we hear a lot of stuff, but this is really this good. This is really you know? good. So they gave a lot of high praise to Charlie, which is sweet <laughs> to see, you know.
1: Well, They're a great, great orchestra. And I think, you know, that's the thing is passion. You know, when you go to, like, a European orchestra here, we're post-communism, and, you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, how does this work now? How do I make a living? So they're incredibly grateful for the work, and no, they don't have $100,000 violins. They've got, like, these $5,000 or $6,000 instruments, but the passion is, is amazing, and it does come out in their music. Yeah, that's that's remarkable, and and such a such a profitable
0: collaboration between you guys. Uh, you know, with your film and music background, and your composing and music uh, scores that have you know. That touch a deep nerve. I love to see the combination of these things. So, sure. go into a little bit. You talk a little bit about in the film, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about the inspiration for doing this project in the first place. I mean, that wasn't your bread and butter. I mean, this is this was had to come from somewhere.
1: Yeah, no, the bread and butter has very little to do with the classical stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, You know, it commissions or, you know, it doesn't pay what film and television pay, but there's a passion there. And I had started working on um, a piece which became Moment at Dawn, and I'd been toying with the idea – of a of a symphony about Colorado and the Rocky Mountains, um, at the time I was working on a film with Richard Gere called Henry and Me, and in the film we're working with the Yankees and uh, Steinbrenner when he was when he was alive, and and Cindy Lauper was was uh, played played a nurse. It was an animated film and just a, a beautiful film. And the Colorado Symphony wanted to premiere the score live um, and have the film playing, and Scott O'Neill was going to conduct live. Well. Unfortunately, they uh, went bankrupt that fall. Oh. And so their concert series was canceled. Oh. <clears throat> and so I said, hey, well, I'm writing a symphony. Would that help you guys? Would that is that something that would? And they said it would because Colorado Tourism would like some music written about Colorado. Um, they want to create this campaign and record it with the Colorado Symphony. And so that tied in and it funded me writing the symphony, they officially commissioned it. Colorado Tourism was so gracious in taking care of the finances. And it actually, for Colorado Tourism, it was very financially beneficial for them. And according to the Denver Post, it was the most successful campaign in, in the history of Colorado Tourism. And they actually brought in $1.8 billion of new wow. tourism money as a direct result. Billion. Of, uh, t- yeah, $1.8 billion, with a B, <laughs> as a direct result of the campaign. So it, it it helped Colorado out, which was neat for me. And and the, you know, here I'm writing a symphony about Colorado, and the money is filtering into the mom and pop shops and all of the tourism sure. and the ski slopes, and you know that was. That was kind of rewarding. Sure. Well, so much of
0: this is Colorado, and so much of it just really are the very, very best parts of Colorado, both musically and, and visually. Steve, how did you look at some of the shots? I mean, did you listen to the pieces and then think about which shots you were going to, to take? Because so I'll I just say right now, the scene of the elk... The little baby elk.
2: Yeah, isn't that great? Oh, oh jumping. Oh,
0: my gosh. That
2: was, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything like that.
0: I've never seen anything like it either, and I watch a lot of nature documentaries. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and it's just great because this baby elk wanders into this little pond, and Reese just starts kicking up its heels in joy and leaping and water splashing everywhere, and this little ox have the time of his life, you know? And we, we just, you know, you, you, when you go out and shoot, you don't know, like, when these moments will happen. These are sort of the gifts that are given to us in mm-hmm. those moments. And so uh, we were able to capture some, some wonderful gifts in this film. So I had time, because when Charlie got the music done, I had time with it. It took us much longer to get the film done. So I had time to ruminate with it. And we were working on still different seasons of the year and cruising the mountain and all that stuff. And so, you know, it was a matter of just finding the right. F- it's a feel thing for me. I couldn't teach it, you know, and there may be somebody else could teach it, but I can't. But there's a that process where it's, you know, it's it's in your gut and it's touching. It's the beauty element. It's inspiration. And, and, and yeah. And, it, you know, to me, when the project was done, it caught me a little bit by surprise because it was so well liked. I've done more technical kinds of projects that were harder in some sense but this was just a joy ride and then we get nominated for a Grammy last year for best music film and we get all this attention from other outlets to say we like this film of course you know everybody also likes Colorado right <laughs> so who who doesn't like Colorado yeah,
1: true.
2: um and so it was such a it was sort of our lo- our love letter yeah. to Colorado it's sure write something is to say we love so.
0: One thing that um, we we touched on was your process of writing this and the inspiration that came to you uh, through this. Talk about Jerry Malzahn and the
1: the, the artwork and how that process came about. So as I'd mentioned uh, earlier, I was downloading his work. I had met him. A while back, we had bought a, our King Charles Cavalier uh, from his wife. His wife raised them, and, and just a wonderful dog. So we and I'd met him briefly, and then just sort of forgot about it. I saw some of his paintings. They have a, a gorgeous um, second home in in Southern Colorado. So I remember that sort of Hudson River River style, which is the way the, the colors sort of jump out and the, the the various hues. And I just looked him up when, when I started writing and I started printing it out. And I ended up giving him a call after I would printed a five or six of his paintings and plastered them around the studio. I just felt like I needed to call him. And I called him, reminded him of who I was. I'm not sure he remembered, but I reminded him that we had bought the dog and made that connection. And and I told him I'd been downloading his, his his paintings and plastering them, and I hope that's okay. Kind I of felt a little guilty, probably. Felt, yeah, sure. I was feeling very guilty. And I, I'll never forget, his response was, well, that's amazing because um, I've been listening to your music as inspiration for my paintings. And so – that was an amazing connection, which turned into a wonderful friendship. And his paintings were at the premiere and um, his paintings are in the film. Um, His paintings are, uh, you know, in the album and the the liner notes. And and he sent me two paintings uh, from movements that I'd written directly as a result of his paintings. Just a wonderful friendship. And he's just Salt of the Earth, of course. Yeah, um, we did. We we lost him. Yeah. Uh, th- this uh, this summer, um, he he was in his seventies and um, just but wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man.
0: And he's a great American artist. His paintings are in Washington D.C. in the in the White House and the, yeah. and in, uh, the uh, Naval Academy. In the and, Naval Academy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just uh, it's just a remarkable testimony to the divine weaving of inspiration. I like to think. That here's two artists in two different genres who randomly connect. Sure, yeah. And yet randomly is never random. No. But whose work mutually inspires each other. And I, I, I think the, uh, the formation of that as a film has been really one of the singular achievements. It's, it's just a tremendous uh, work. Obviously, uh, I think the state of Colorado has benefited from it pretty greatly. Are there plans or their their performances of this as a, as, a, as a complete work that that you're you know in touch with? Are there things like that happening right now?
1: We did have um, Scott O'Neill took one of the movements, and he's the um, conductor, the conductor, and,
0: and, and uh, symphony head of the. Denver, uh, yeah,
1: he was the resident conductor, right. and he's uh, premiered variations of the work, but um, you know, no plans to sort of play it again. It, in the classical world, they don't like repeats unless you're dead, um, and then they definitely repeat it. So it, it's sort of a strange thing. We don't want that to happen anytime No, soon. no, no. no. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be able to make it to the premiere. Um, <laughs> Although we're both kind
2: of looking at a trip to Asia this fall. Hmm. And, um, you know, what's interesting is we have sort of a film that's timed out exactly with the music. So one of the ideas we're sort of pinging around, we don't know how this will play out, would be to project the film and let the orchestra sync to it. And so you've got this combination of powerful visuals and music, sort of double impact. And, uh, you know, I just I think some of these ideas are the future of the genre. Mm. Because when you look at sort of young people that are under 30, they're not going to the symphony. And yet, at the same time, they're going to films. And like you said, so, so orchestral music is, they love it. They're, they're connecting with it, but not symphonic music and the old masters necessarily. Sure. That's right. too sort of too sophisticated and too old school for them at this stage of their life. So the bridge music, I think, which Charlie's involved in, will be an important piece that will uh, open the door to people discovering the experience of live, unmiked music in great halls where the symphony can do their thing. And it's a a great experience to have if you've never been. But, you know, hopefully we'll see more and more of this kind of bridge stuff. And I know Scott O'Neill has been... Uh, hit up by a symphony recently in Colorado, that that's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's bright days ahead. And of course, Scott became a good friend for both of us. We spent a year in pre-production of this project. Most of those meetings were at a classic, beautiful, old hotel in Denver called the Brown Palace. And um, um, yeah, sure. you know, yeah. Scott and Charlie and I spent hundreds of hours together. And hundreds of dollars. And hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eating the fabulous food. Good food. food. That's the right, yes. so, But it was interesting. It was not without obstacles. We got to a point where it was time to shoot one of the performances, uh, the, the live performance. And I had negotiated with the symphony. Oh, and yeah. uh, we had had our deal in place. And literally, I've sent my guys out to pick up sort of thousands and thousands of dollars of rental gear plus our gear. We've got personnel pegged. We've got seven cameras. so We've probably got 13 people, a crew. And I get a last-minute call, five, 5 p.m., from a couple of the guys in the symphony, uh, which are in management, that want to change the deal. Well, I'm not going for it. So I said, listen, guys. It's the night before, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you 15 minutes to decide if you want to move ahead or change the deal. And then if I don't hear from you, I'm pulling the plug, right? So I pulled the plug that night. And we went back to the drawing board. Well, of course, this led essentially to the firing of this executive at the symphony, which I wish him well. I don't wish him bad things. And then we sort of got lost in a new administration discussion, and meanwhile we've been planning all this for months and months and months so i get a call one day from the new chairman of the board who was i think the biggest donor of the symphony and he used to manage playboy enterprises and so he called me in i i even put on a sport jacket for this <laughs> meeting you know to be respectful and i drive down so i go into his office and he says uh, so what is this you know what's this just talk about this project you guys are all talking about and, you know, gave him the backstory and, you know, he's a button pusher kind of guy. And he looks at me and he goes, what if I said we didn't give
0: a F, mm-hmm. right?
2: So pushing the buttons. I start laughing and I go, well, i just go to Seattle. And then the other guy in the room pipes up and goes, well, our symphony is better than Seattle. Now the competition has begun. Anyway, we got through it all. And, um, uh, connected and had an arrangement and, and it worked out. But, you know, these obstacles happen and people see the finished product. They have no idea of the journey, you know, but sometimes the journey is fantastic and weird. I was just oh, yeah. about
0: to say that the, the story behind the story is, is, is so fascinating uh, on top of that. And, you know, as a work of art, you, they just don't happen. Yeah. And those obstacles and overcoming right. them and the various other ones, it's just, uh, it's just great. I did have one other question before uh, I asked my last kind of question, but, uh, Charles, what, um, what caused you to think about doing this with choral? Uh, there's, a, there's a big chorus not, not, you know, not common for both of those things to be written into you know, a work like that.
1: True, true. Yeah, you, you usually don't hear a choir in a symphony. And, um, you know, symphonic and classical music has to evolve, and it hasn't. The mainstay for symphonies all across the United States, not as much in Europe. Europe is much more progressive than the United States. The, the mainstay is, well, we will resurrect the masterworks. We will keep Bach alive. We'll call it uh, Brewskis with Bach or we'll call it <laughs> um, Basking with <laughs> Beethoven. We'll, but we're going to play the same thing over and over and over again. And so they're calling those masterworks when the reality is a John Williams or your your film score work, which is written for film and television, is oh much more complicated, much more sophisticated than Beethoven or Brahms, who they start in 4-4, they end in 4-4, they start in the key of C minor, they end in the key of C minor. Whereas with a film score, you're going to start in C minor and you're going to modulate all the way up to G minor and you're going to do that in 10 measures and you're going to have five or six different time changes within those 10 measures, much more complicated. I have
0: no idea what that means, but it sounds very complicated.
1: Much much harder, much more sophisticated. In today's audience that are going into theaters and they're hearing orchestra music, because America loves orchestral music they just don't like classical music so please don't call it classical but what they're hearing is incredibly complicated and then they walk into a concert hall and they hear you know Beethoven's 5th again and it's predictable and it's it's not it's not to say this isn't good stuff it's great stuff and we do need to preserve it but we need to let it evolve and the classical music audience and our, our, the American classical experience needs to start embracing this, or they will go bankrupt. They will not be in business. So when I wrote my symphony, I was writing it for the people, not for the classical audience. And people are used to going to theaters and hearing these dark choirs singing in Latin, and they're used to hearing these brooding basses and you know this undergird that you don't hear in in the masterwork. So so I wanted this symphony to reflect the tastes of the American people, wow. not necessarily the classical establishment.
0: So well done. So, so important. And I love the fact that the voices were included um, because I don't play an instrument, but I do love to sing. And uh, part of me was saying, where's the voice? of the people of Colorado and when when you know some of those scenes were highlighted by the soaring you know chorus in the background I was like this is where my soul sings so Mm -hmm. again thank you Charles this was such an amazing experience Uh, I, I encourage anyone Often to watch this and to listen and to understand just what a miraculous and beautiful world we live in Mm. and particularly the state of Colorado. So thanks, Charles. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you guys both being here. Really, really. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Exploration Films podcast. Check out Portraits of Colorado as well as our full library of documentaries and independent feature films at explorationfilms.com. This one is available digitally everywhere. That's a wrap. You've been listening to the Exploration Films Podcast. Explorationfilms.com.